Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion Podcast. And welcome back. Hello, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, Paul. And you? Oh, very good. Thank you. So today, I believe we're going to talk about leadership and strategy. But before you tell us a bit more about why that topic... Why don't you introduce us, who do we have today with us? So I'm, I'm really delighted to have with me today, um, Dennis Foix. Dennis is the CEO at New Voice Media, an investment notion made in our first fund, 2009, I believe it was. And um, Dennis has got more than 25 years experience, I think, Dennis, spanning international leadership across technology and, and finance. And, you know, in his role as the CEO at New Voice Media, he's, he's playing a pivotal role in one of you know, Europe's leading SaaS companies, transforming the cloud contact center industry. It's got about 400 employees all over the world, headquartered out of Basingstoke. So delighted to have Dennis with us. Welcome, Dennis. Hi, Dennis. Hey, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. So the, the topic, yeah, the topic for today um, is around leadership, but I want to talk about leadership from the perspective of um, combined with strategy. So when we think about the challenge that any founder is going through when they're going from startup one to five million, grow up five to 25 million, scale up 25 million plus, getting really big, really fast. That, that ability to combine strategic thinking, short, medium and long term, with clarity of leadership is, is absolutely critical. And this is something Dennis and I have talked about a, a number of times in the past. So some, I've been looking forward to, the, to this conversation. And it's quite interesting. I was reflecting on this the other day. I tend to have conversations on these podcasts, Dennis, that, that I want to have. And, and hopefully that's of benefit to our, to our audience. And I've just realized I'm in the kitchen and the dishwasher start, started beeping. I'm just going to switch that. I'm just going to switch that <laughs> off. <laughs> That's just the glamorous life of investors, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I just need my dogs to bark now to complete the picture. Oh, that would be fantastic, actually. <laughs> this is a really, it's a great British podcast, this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and you've done the dishes. This is impressive. Very well. A success. Um, so let's just kind of jump, jump sure. into that, Dennis. Um, I mean, you're running a, a pretty significant sized organization, uh, but you've been through multiple stages. So when you're as a leader and you're guiding a company through fast growth, how do you handle that challenge of combining the clarity of leadership with the, the strategic mindset? Yes, it's a, it's a big question, Steve. It's a, I mean, you know that this is a topic that's kind of like dear to my heart. Um, I guess we all have to kind of figure out what works for us individually because we all face um, different challenges. I think of myself as quite privileged that I've, um, I guess in my early stage of my career, got involved with some very large companies. I've got, I guess, if you like, educated with some uh, blue chip organizations that give me good theoretical grounding. And obviously none of that uh, theory was applicable in those organizations because they were quite slow to move. And I then got kind of sort of involved into uh, more startups and scale-ups. And I guess you can um, very safely say that New Voice Media is a scale-up, you know, for employees, as you say, in various geographies and growing at a good rate that we are looking to kind of uh, accelerate even further now. So the way I look at it, there's a couple of principles, really. But the first principle is to remove 
and try to remove myself out of the equation. I think one of the difficulties that creeps in with uh, founders and CEOs is that they start to attach too much of their own identity to the company at the stage that the company is in. And that becomes a bottleneck in itself. So what I try to do from the very get-go is to try to uh, not insert and assert my own uh, point of view too hard from the start. And I do that by defining a really strong vision for the future, something that's really big. So when it gets, uh, when we go through a period of change, I go back to that point, try to define a compelling vision for the future. And really what I double click on is the point of view. So I look at the industry, I look at where the company is, and I try to define well, what's so special about how we are looking at this problem. More often than not, what you see is that the product or service that we create is probably not unique, but the way you're looking at a problem or the way you're looking at an industry or some insights that you've developed is. So I go very hard on that. And then my second objective is to set priorities. So a very short number of priorities three, four, in US media's case, we have four priorities that we uh, set out for the year. And then really, I start to communicate a lot. We've all read the uh, the theory on communicate so much that you feel you're kind of repeating yourself on a daily basis. And I, th- I think that's good practice. So I communicate on every single medium all the time. What that starts to do it is it starts to create this kind of um, cycle of communication where um, you get challenged as a leader on how accurate, how sharp you have been. People start to develop their own ideas. And it allows you to be in the problem and in uh, the perspective with the team rather than owning it, uh, rather than feeling that you are the only one kind of shaping it. And I think those are, for me, um, very important principles. I see too often that um, uh, leaders, when they talk about the organization, they, they refer to it as a being a lonely place, a lonely position. And I think when you're in that situation, it is indeed a very difficult thing to do. So I try with everything that I do not to get myself into that position, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, you hire extraordinary people and you want the very best people aligned with the, the vision you have and, and, and helping you solve the problems makes, makes a lot of sense. I like that idea of not inserting and asserting. Just maybe elaborate on, on what you mean by that. Yes, it goes to your point of people. I mean, ultimately, when you get to a scale up, what matters most is how you build teams. Um, that's that's really what it comes down to. And it's actually quite hard building leadership teams, making sure that you're ready for the next phase, uh, the people that work with your leaders, you know, from a product development standpoint, engineering teams, sales teams, etc. You're constantly building teams. You're constantly recruiting and enabling talent. And it's to the point that you said is, often too easy to effectively see yourself as the CEO or founder, as the flag carrier for the vision. The problem with that is that nobody feels they can then challenge that. And uh, you you know, some very strong biases will be at work in yourself. Uh, so the, the way I look at that is really to talk more to the point of view. So rather than feeling that I need to come up or I need to define a vision, I do a few things. I effectively say the vision can and should evolve. It's not something fixed into perpetuity, unlike common wisdom. However, what is important is that there is agreement on the point of view and how you look at the industry in a point in time, in a market, how you build a category, 
Um, in our case, we're evolving a category. So we're taking an existing category and breaking out of that category and effectively creating a new one by evolving what people believe a contact center software should do. Um, once you get agreement to the point of view, you'll find that people understand the why much better. Because they understand the why much better, they'll help you to develop a far, far stronger vision for the future, but they're also, they'll stand for it. Uh, they'll defend it and they'll take it with them in their day-to-day decision-making. So all of a sudden through a series of exercises, you'll find that the whole executive team is actually very articulate in a way that can describe why we're going in a certain direction, which helps to enable their teams and ensure that the day-to-day actions are aligned with where the company needs to go. That's what I mean with that. So one of the things we've talked about a lot in the past, Dennis, is about the ability to have short, medium and long-term thinking. Short-term in terms of you know, execution against the current plan, delivering on the results quarter by quarter. Medium might be entering a new market. Long-term might be an entirely new kind of product line. How do you kind of encapsulate that kind of thinking into, um, into the business? Yeah, now there's probably... Uh, one of the hardest things to do when you're growing really fast, but it's incredibly important. So you know that I like the uh, the way McKinsey thinks about this, sort of three horizon thinking. I, I do know that. But I've bastardized that. I've, I've sort of come up with my own version. The way I like to do that is actually um, as follows. Because um, it's it's very difficult to get your teams to, to think about that. And this actually, I do believe the job of the CEO to continually drive that level of thinking. So in, in the first principle there is, is that I don't see the difference between short-term and long-term. And what I mean with that is I don't see that there is a mutually exclusive relationship between short-term execution and long-term thinking. I think that's that would be a mistake. It would be a mistake because it would effectively prime you to think that you can do these things in series. And the reality there is a a more fluid relationship between the two, and you should do both. There's no uh, escaping. So the way I'm trying to prime myself and others for that is by using the three kind of horizon thinking, but bastardizing that heavily. I like to look at horizon one as being today. So it's effectively, it's it's the, the vision that we have today for the busy. You probably have a plan that looks, let's just say, 12 to 18 months out, maybe 24 months. Everything was say, this is what we're doing. We're scaling the business. We're expanding in these areas. We're selling this product line. We're increasing sales. We're reducing churn. And this is the business trajectory. What I then do is I go straight to horizon three. And Horizon 3 is really where I do one of two things, and usually both. One is I look at what is the most profound shift that could happen in the market that could really cause a very, very serious threat in the business. So in Nuvo's Media, it might be voice is no longer important. In five years' time, nobody cares. Nobody cares about calling people. Voice is dead. Another one might be that there is a completely more positive uh, angle. Uh, Voice is becoming uh, an incredibly important input mechanism. Millennials are starting to take voice and they're skipping the screen. They like to use voice as an input um, and they don't like to type. So I find a couple of these angles. And then what I do with Horizon 2 is I bridge one to three, if that makes sense, right? So how do you go in, uh, let's just say, Horizon 3 is five years, from my current plan to start to think about it. And I'm broadly speaking, talk to our team and uh, investors about spending, uh, you know, let's just say 70% of your time in Horizon 1, let's just say 15 to 20% in Horizon 2, 
and 10% in thinking of Horizon 3. And then the final piece of the puzzle is effectively you try to align your roadmap thinking and your experimentation very much on Horizon 3, which is where you start. You can be a bit more experimental. Like you ask the team to work on uh, things that they like to work on as long as they sort of frame uh, and work actively on Horizon 3. That's how I, I like to look at it in, in very practical ways. How do you create the framework within which people can have the confidence to, to, to think that big and that far out while still executing on the numbers? Because you probably haven't got enough people to completely separate teams. So everybody's splitting a little bit of their mind and their time. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's by talking a lot about the business. I think we're often um, taken offsite, for instance, where you're, you take your executive team or an offsite. How many offsite this have we all been to that effectively the only thing you do is discuss a QBR style offsite? So you look at your quarter gone, look at what's gone well, you plan for the next quarter of the year. You're looking very much at the lagging indicators of the business. It sort of starts by uh, changing the mechanics of some of those meetings. Um, if I look at my last offsite with the team, which has only been uh, two weeks ago, we've really kind of split our thinking. We looked at team evolution and thinking. We looked at threats in the business. So we do try to reserve and carve out time and think what happens if that happened, how are we prepared for that, what happened with some of these competitors, and kind of check ourselves on whether our plan actually sticks, makes sense. So the confidence is that comes from the fact that we talk about it a lot and we value that it is a priority and it is important. It's not some sort of a intellectual exercise that has no value and can we come back on executing, please? It's, um, it's an important subject matter because the moving that the world that we're in is, is very uh, fluid and this fast change as you're all too familiar on. So within that context, you talked about problems. Voice is now irrelevant to you. Hmm. How do you... One of the big things that we see in, you know, leaders having to cope with within this kind of environment is how do they cope with game-changing problems? I don't know if this is something you do. Do you, do you use kind of any particular mental models to allow you to, to make better decisions? Uh, yes, I do. I'm a bit of a geek, Steve. <laughs> yeah, you probably figured that one out. Um, so I'm a bit of a behavioral kind of science cognitive uh, geek. So yes, I do. Um, I guess a, wor a word sort of, of warning on that subject, I, I, if I if, I've, if I think there's one particular area that is very valuable to develop this kind of agility in thinking, I think the most strong bias that we all suffer from, which is particularly dangerous once you start to get into uh, mental models that you subscribe to, is kind of availability bias. Is uh, you know you start to view things from the lens that you're most comfortable with, which you only have to look around in your environment to kind of see that happening every day. So what I'm, I think what, what, what I train and hope I do a reasonable job at uh, myself is, is really to be as flexible as possible and to not see things too much as my ideas. And the moment I feel myself defending things in public, I back off to kind of invite and listen more criticism and feedback. I'm a big fan of mental models. I use them in my day to day. I continually learn and educate myself on on a lot of them to to a point that's mildly obsessive. But I guess the the biggest skill I think that you could learn to develop, and particularly as you're leading a fast growing business, is the skill of not getting too wedded to a map, a mind map 
of systems because the map itself is flawed. The map itself is a fixed point in time. You need to be more flexible as a leader. And this goes back to your very first point, Steve, which is the point of people, hiring people that uh, are in some cases better than than you are in, in certain situations or in, in some cases, in my case, in a lot of cases. So you, should, you need to be able to be comfortable with that. So the notion and idea that you hold the intellectual key to solving a lot of problems is flawed in itself. And of course, there are no right or wrongs in this world that we, exactly. that we live in. Exactly. And, and there, are no, yeah. there are no absolutes. Like you, I, I, I want people to embrace an open-mindedness and to use tools to help them to understand how they do actually make decisions and, and, and the conscious and unconscious bias they're using. How then, within that, those kind of scenarios, do you stress test your decisions? Or not your decisions, the decisions that are being made? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a very good question. It's a cultural thing, right? It sort of goes to a broader ecosystem that you do need to create which is goes to uh, stress testing, it goes to failing. A lot goes kind of in this category. So how do you do that or how do I do it? How I do it is by kind of applying a lot of inversion, a lot of thinking around, yeah, but what if this isn't true or do we have enough evidence and challenge it quite hard? I can actually be quite cynical and quite negative if I need to be on making sure that things happen. So... By the time we kind of feel it's a reasonably good idea, we at least have done some basics. Um, and I guess in a team, we do have the environment that people find it entirely appropriate and do repeatedly so, call each other out on saying, really, is that is that how you're thinking about it? And humor plays a big part, believe it or not. So I think there is no shortcut here. The way to do it is by creating a culture where people f- feel it's okay to test an idea and to challenge it, but you can't over-rotate on it, right? So this idea that, uh, I guess, within the executive team at New Voice Media, we do apply to subscribe to some principles that just shooting an idea down in itself is not enough. The idea is to develop into the trajectory that we want to develop into. So the idea may be flawed or the execution may have been flawed, but does the premise still hold? In other words, is the problem that we wanted to solve still there? Is it an important or is it an urgent item that we... So what are we debating there? Is it, are we content to the idea? To effectively invite people to be constructive about this and come off with an evolved version of it rather than simply shoot it down and, and, and shoot, with that shoot momentum down as well. So it's not free. It needs to come with, a, a, I guess, an accretive, accretive contribution. I'm in the middle of consuming Principles by Ray Dalio. And I think that is an incredibly powerful framework that that says, just just make it clear to everybody how you think and and how you want to operate and make it clear the kind of culture that you want to create and and make it clear that ideas are are not sacrosanct and, and anybody can challenge. But what's really interesting about his way of thinking is that you learn over time actually whose ideas do have merit in what context. Do you think about it from that perspective? I do. I do. I think the idea that you communicate very actively about some of these concepts, uh, like ideas, I know, sacrosanct, um, it's okay to fail. We should really value diversity and inclusion and actively build that. You know, we should be careful with our own cognitive biases are really incredibly important things. And I guess if anything, from a CEO perspective, that's what you need to talk 
a lot about it and be very colorful in the language in which you describe that. I do also think at the same time that uh, you need to allow for uh, input in that system. Uh, so the system can't, can't be yours. Uh, so I'm, I'm always challenged the guys. I find myself occasionally pausing and asking for people for input and saying, are we still in, heading in the right direction? Is that, you know, how, do you, how do you describe this to your teams and get people to talk about it themselves? Because again, per the book that you've just outlined, there is, a, there is an absolute risk there that it becomes uh, your version of what reality should be. And we started to get into the similar territory where you effectively are defining the rules and regulations of how an ecosystem should work. And I think we, we ought to, leave, to be a little bit cautious uh, with that. I think a culture should be more flexible. If I look at New Voice Media, we probably have over 60 nationalities. If you think about how a Polish engineer works with somebody that grew up in the West Coast, there'll be different principles at play. If you look at languages, uh, languages that have high context or low context, descriptive, non-descriptive. I've got a Polish CTO and an Israeli CPO. You need to be more flexible, I think, when, you, when you're building these things out. How do you make it okay to, to fail within the kind of environment you work within? People are scared of making mistakes, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. Um, I'll give you a practical uh, point there. One thing that seems to have worked really well is as I first started at New Voice Media, I kind of thought, wow, this is kind of a complex set of systems, uh, very intricate, lots of measures, uh, a lot of systems. You know, it's also, I heard somewhere that uh, we have built and are continuing to build one of the most complex SaaS systems you can develop, you know, outside of a trading floor, building a contact center with voice in real time in the cloud is one of the most complex businesses you can build because of the very nature of voice. You know, you, there's no tolerances for latency or, or hiccups. And obviously the, the organization has a high levels of controls to ensure that that quality is guaranteed to our customers. So the idea that you can fail there in an environment like that is, is not, um, not a natural thing. And by, by way of humor, as we were developing something, I, I talked about a shitty first draft. So it was this uh, very important paper. This actually was actually effectively about the strategy of the company. And I kind of was stuck on something. So I thought, I'm not going to develop this any further. It doesn't make any sense. So I called it an SFD. And people asked me, what is this SFD? So it was a shitty first draft. And it was horrible, Steve. I mean, it was just literally the most dreadful piece of paper. It's embarrassing. But um, what happened is that a couple of things happened. One, because obviously positioned like that, it's uh, feedback is welcome. The, the, you know, the barrier to entry is kind of low to the floor. But also, I didn't feel like it was mine. I felt that I hadn't developed it to a point that I needed to defend it because I'd spent, you know, months on working on the paper and, you know, I really considered every single scenario. Therefore, uh, you know, your criticism is welcome, but not too much. So what started to happen at this, this concept of shitty first draft, in fact, I had a text message today. It started to be used, uh, we're all using it, so execs are using it. And so every time when we're not so certain about this, we've got the shitty first draft. And what I'm saying with that is that it's okay to fail very early on and try to fail at there, try not to fail much later on, because that actually is a problem in terms of visibility. More often than not, most of these Kind of quite fundamental mistakes could have been avoided by having a more active dialogue. So the way we do it is by, um, I guess, being uh, shitty at the front end. 
<laughs> if you like, um, and, and, and invite a lot of feedback. And the psychology of that is, is that the uh, person that's responsible for the idea of concept doesn't feel that they're too wedded to the idea. And I think that's probably the most powerful principle there. So it's okay to fail. You're not losing face. We can have a laugh about it. But you're also demonstrating a, a, a kind of high degree of vulnerability as well. Mm. You know, you said, yeah. I'm, I'm really not sure how to do this. <laughs> exactly. But I'm, I'm going to have a go. And as you say, you're, you're dealing with a highly, highly complex operation and you, you employ super, super smart people. And so um, giving people that kind of ability to accept the fact that you don't have all the answers, it's pretty smart. Yeah, uh, smart or, or, or dumb. <laughs> Either way. But I, th- I think you're right. It also invites collaboration. You know, we um, d- another change, which is also, I think, a good change, which might be quite nice for people that are listening to this podcast as a practical thing, is uh, when you're building slides and packs out, a lot of people often get kind of too far in these decks. Um, so what we started to do is... Um, we draw them up. So we take a blank sheet of paper, in my case, my iPad. I like to draw on an iPad because of my travel schedule. And what we do is we stick, we copy paste those drawings in the deck and effectively say, hey, listen, this is the story I want to tell. This is where I think it's going or I'm trying to represent X, Y, Z. So the, the ideas themselves are not fully baked. They've not gone into hours and hours of PowerPoint thinking. And that's the first kind of iteration of that draft. So the whole thing is a little bit more relaxed to discuss. More often than not, I kind of found that some of these drawings, we've actually ended up with a lot of cases, this not changing the drawing, keeping the drawing in the deck. It's kind of lean strategy, Hmm. you know, that's highly iterative and it starts in a very boiled down kind of idea. I I know exactly exactly what you mean. I'd love to see some of those one day. Yes, um, they will go in the scrapbook, um, (laughs) highly embarrassing (laughs) drawings, yes. So maybe just to kind of bring things to an end, um, I mean, we could, we could, we could talk about this for, for quite a while, but I'd like to maybe just explore a little bit about what have you learned since you started, you've been with New Voice Media, and how has that changed the way you think about your role as the CEO slash leader? I've learned, I'm learning an unbelievable amount. It's I'm probably at the point I feel that I'm probably learning most in my career. And I love it. I love the fact that it's kind of stretching and challenging me on a number of fronts and that the learning is happening kind of at quick pace. I guess the two most profound things that are standing out for me is execution and simplification. Those are the two things that keep coming back when I look at uh, New Voice Media. And I guess with that, probably I think it applies to any fast-growing company at scale where you're facing growth challenges at scale in, in a multitude of directions. So I guess the moment you find to define that you find yourself defining the priorities that pretty much touch every area of your company, you're, you're in that phase. And what I mean with that is my natural bias is to go to kind of go to market orientated areas. I, feel, I add value in kind of messaging, marketing, sales. I feel very comfortable in those areas. And with that, you can create, you know, compelling views, ideas, strategy, and you can find yourself as a CEO, as a leader, being very passionate and articulating the vision and the, of the market to prospects, to anybody that wants to hear it and kind of feel really good about yourself and really good about the company. But the reality is that when you're driving a scale up for growth, that's not particularly effective. And your role is effectively as a CEO, much more about concerning yourself 
but how do you make what you're saying executable? How does the new person that's gone into the organization find its way through the organization and actually execute to the plan, uh, the vision and the values that we have developed? How does that actually work really in the detail? So I've learned to appreciate the, I guess the beauty in execution, building people and teams and really spending most of my time there. Um, it is for me absolutely the difference between winning and losing. So the ability to find, recruit, hire, enable people and connect them to a very compelling execution engine. And execution, I don't mean that as a kind of a dark uh, process-driven culture, but really far more um, creative. But people want to see their ideals, their ideas come true. They want to see things done. They want things delivered to customers on time with high quality, really embracing the fact that we're getting stuff done and put away and celebrating that fact. I've learned to, I was always kind of geared to execution, but I'm now really doubling down on it. I think it's an incredibly important thing and the details do matter. And uh, alongside with that, the simplification, and then I mean radically simplifying, the whole system will develop to kind of fight you on this. You know, everyone that talks to you will talk to you in great detail about incredibly intricate, complex systems. And um, the reality is, if you have one job as a CEO, is to really fight that level of complexity in the organization. That is the stuff that doesn't scale and it won't scale. If it's complex, it's very unlikely to scale. It's prone for errors and uh, will lead to sub-optimization in in one area. I can't remember the book, but it was a wonderful uh, kind of visual expression of what this author wrote about the role. I think it was a great CEOs are lazy or something like that. It, it effectively described the role of a CEO as um, looking at yourself as imagining that you have a hose pipe that's connected to a water tap and there's an end. And effectively what you do is the idea is obviously you're watering the garden, but your role as a CEO is to not hold either end of the hose pipe or the tap. Um, it's effectively to inspect the hose pipe, is to walk around and look for the kings and, and figure out where they are and to not move on to the next until you've fixed that problem and to never find yourself in the problem. So I think when I look at execution and simplification, I kind of see both things. So the ability to insert, drop into and help to execute, but at the same time stay high level enough to see the whole host pipe and ensuring that we are watering the garden, if that makes sense. That was great. Nailed it. I loved it. Radical simplification and beautiful mm-hmm. execution. Beautiful is not quite the right word, but I, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. It's powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with um, NVM over the coming quarters. Well, Dennis, it's been a, a really enjoyable uh, conversation. It's absolutely flown past. Thank you so much for your time and um, you know, really appreciate the insights you've given us. Thank you very much indeed. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.